0: Hi, this is Pastor Rusty Gunther, First Baptist Church of Blowing Rock. You know, several years ago, we had a national debate about whether character really mattered. The argument was, if someone was doing their job, they were doing what was asked of them, what does it matter what they do in their personal life? It's an issue of integrity. Does integrity matter? On today's message, from Nehemiah chapter 5, looking at verse 14 through 19, We're going to ask the question, what happens when our actions are louder than our words? We're going to review a little bit from our earlier study of Nehemiah after taking a break. We're about midway through our book study here in Nehemiah chapter 5 in our Nehemiah series, Repair, Rebuild, and Restore. But we're also going to look at the issue of integrity. Nehemiah had something special, something different that mattered and encouraged those around him. Hope you enjoy the message as we join this service taped during our 11 o'clock service already in progress. Amen. Now before you look at your watch and worry, uh, I knew this morning that we would have Compassion International and Kevin do a special and so I am not uh, going to preach a full message uh, unless the Spirit just comes and takes it away. but. Um, We have stopped our study for Nehemiah for the last couple of weeks with Easter and other things. and uh, We're at a perfect breaking point there in Nehemiah. So what I chose to do this morning uh, is to try to catch us up. Uh, try to review for those of you that have missed. Uh, if you've missed any of this series, this is number 10, in a series we're calling Repair, Rebuild, and Restore. And if you've missed any of them, you can catch them online on our podcast page and listen to each one of those messages. Uh, but this morning, I want to kind of give a review and uh, set some setting and some context for the rest of this study uh, as we continue on through the end of the book of Nehemiah. But also to, to draw your attention to one little thing that uh, that jumped out at the end of our last study of Nehemiah, and that'll kind of be our focus this morning on Nehemiah chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Nehemiah 5, and, uh, you know, this is a remarkable story of leadership and recovery and has so many applications for us today as a church and as individuals. uh, It's an incredible story in that God doesn't speak in it, that God doesn't show up, there's nothing miraculous that happens, no supernatural intervention, it's just a simple story of someone that is obedient to God's call and vision on his life, that spends a lot of time praying and a lot of time walking in obedience. And it's some great lessons. And uh, so I encourage you to go back and catch up to us and uh, uh, and be here each week as we continue to find what Nehemiah has for us. Now let me catch you up, give you some setting, give you some background. If you haven't been here, uh, remind you, if you have, of where we are with the book of Nehemiah. It all started uh, back about 586. Six. Uh, that was when the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar and you remember the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that happened during uh, the, the Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar but the Babylonians marched in to Israel, into Judah, and took Jerusalem. Uh, They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the walls. They destroyed the gate. And they took the people captive. And at that point, in 586, that was the last time, until really 1948, that Israel became an independent nation on its own. From then on, they were in captivity. Uh, They were overrun, and they were uh, spread out, uh, pushed away. And a lot of that was because of their sin, their disobedience to God. And so Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians took All of the people away from Judah. Didn't leave anybody behind. Uh, The Babylonians, when they sweeped in, swept into a nation, they would take the captives instead of leaving them there, like the Romans or the Greeks and ruling over them, they would just bring them back home. Uh, They felt safer doing that and make them slaves. And so the Israelites were enslaved. And uh, about 75 years later, the Persian Empire had risen up and overtaken the Babylonian Empire under a great king named Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great had a different philosophy than Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. He overtook the Babylonian Empire. He looked around and saw all these slaves from other countries, these foreigners, and he decided to send them home. So he issued a decree allowing those that had been enslaved to return to the nation of their homeland, the nation of their birth, the nation of their heritage. And uh, At that time, you can go and read in Ezra and some other places uh, in Chronicles About 50,000 Jewish believers under Zerubbabel went back to Jerusalem. They went back to Israel with the intention of rebuilding the temple. They started uh, maybe rebuilding the walls. They never got to that. Uh, Trying to reestablish Israel as a nation, as a trading partner. Uh, But it was a a total wreck. Uh, They were in such great debt during their captivity to the people surrounding uh, Israel that they never took off. About 25 years later after that, about 100 years after Zerubbabel had left, uh, a new king had come into Persia named Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes is the king when we find Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1. A king that had followed Cyrus's decree, continued to allow people to leave, uh, and he's got a good friend who is his cupbearer, uh, someone that works with him, someone that is a confidant of his. And that cupbearer was a man by the name of Nehemiah. He was born and raised in captivity, had never been in uh, Israel, but he was Jewish uh, by heart, by religion, and by race. And uh, that's where our story picks up in Nehemiah chapter 1. That's the context. Some had gone back to Israel, um, many had remained. In Babylonia, uh, in Persia now, in the Persian Empire. Uh, Nehemiah is is working for the king. He's close to the king. Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah's brother, who had been to Jerusalem, comes back to visit. And as he comes back in their visit, Nehemiah offhandedly asks, How is Jerusalem? And the answer shocked him and changed his life. Nehemiah's brother says, the walls are destroyed, the gates are destroyed, the people are discouraged, uh, we are in debt, people are giving up their land for collateral, they're enslaving their children to pay off their debts. He said, it's horrible. And Nehemiah, who had never been to Jerusalem, began to weep, and he was broken over this report. And he began to pray and he began to fast that God would use him to change the situation in Jerusalem. And as he prayed and fasted, God gave him a vision to being able to go and rebuild the walls. Now you need to understand, some of you will remember, it's more than just walls of a city to Nehemiah. Jerusalem represented the city of God. represented God's uh, reputation. It represented God's dwelling place. And so as long as it was in disrepair, as long as there were difficulties there, God's reputation was the one at stake. And so Nehemiah wanted to go back to restore not just God's people, but God's reputation. And he saw that as part of his heart. And so he's working for King King Artaxerxes, he's depressed, he's discouraged, his heart's hurting. The king notices his close friend being discouraged and asks him what happens. And Nehemiah uses that as an end to be able to share his heart, shares his vision. God changes Artaxerxes' heart and he looks at Nehemiah and says, then if that's your heart, I'm going to let you go. And I'm going to make you governor of the land, give you all the authority to rebuild the wall, and I'm going to give you all the material that you need. And he wrote uh, out letters that Nehemiah could carry with him for protection, letters that he could carry with him to, to help him and gave him all the material he needed. And Nehemiah sets out for Jerusalem. In those days, you know, in the Persian Empire, which is Iraq and Iran, uh, it was several months' journey by Camel. And so Nehemiah takes this arduous journey, Uh, with his believers and followers and his group that were working with him, all of these uh, supplies and heads to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem, cover of night, doesn't announce him coming, uh, and he secretly every night for three days goes out and inspects the walls to see what God was calling them to do. After inspecting the walls, after praying, he called all the people of Jerusalem together. And he laid out the vision that God put on his heart for rebuilding the walls, for restoring the economy, restoring God's reputation. Probably one of the greatest examples of casting a vision. If you are a boss, if you have employees, if you are in a position over people and you want to cast your vision, you want to learn how to cast a dream, go read Nehemiah 2 and see what Nehemiah does in casting this vision. The people are enthralled. It it inspires them. And and they rise up and, and they buy in to Nehemiah's dream, and they began to develop a plan for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah's plan is simple. It's one that is a great example of how we, as a church, should live our lives. He said, uh, all I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask every family to rebuild the wall that's outside of their house I don't want you to build over there. I don't want you to build over there. I just want you, when you open your door, this section is your responsibility. If you have a business and you open your business door, this section is your responsibility. And so the people could buy into that. They, They were responsible for the place in front of them. And that's a great lesson for us to understand that as Christians, we have a responsibility to those that we're closest to, to those that we encounter on a regular basis. That vision that God's given us first is to reach those that are right in front of us. And so the people begin to work, and they're excited. And as they work, in a remarkable amount of time, 90 days, they get the walls halfway to their old height. Phenomenal. The walls are being restored. The gates have all been restored. But Nehemiah is facing some opposition. From even before the time he left the Persian Empire, Uh, several of the leaders of the area around Jerusalem began to to give him a hard time because, you see, they benefited by Jerusalem being in bad shape because as long as Jerusalem was in bad shape, they could push and get money and buy land and control it. And so these three leaders, and I call them the Three Stooges, and we're not done with them. We're going to see them later on in our study. Uh, Geshem and Sandballot and Tobiah, uh, they begin to mock the people. They oppose in every way possible. They make fun of the people. They uh, mock Nehemiah. They mock the effort that's going on. They, they try to rise people up and rile people up to get the wall stopped from being built. Finally, at the end of chapter 4, they, they threaten to attack the people that are on the wall. And Nehemiah, you know, it's amazing. Every time these people rose up, he would pray first, which is a great example for us, and then he would respond. And when he responded, he would always stand and rebuke. He would always stand and speak truth to these people that were coming against him. finally, at the end of chapter 4, he develops a plan. Uh, If these people are attacking, he tells the people of Israel, here's the plan, I want you to have a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. And you work together in groups of two and when one sleeps the other guards. When one works the other sleeps. And you guard and and you're always going to be protecting and covering each other back. It's a perfect picture of the church. And I don't want to get too much into the type there because I preached the whole message on it. Uh, But that's what we're called to do. We're called to stand with the sword of God against the enemies of God. To stand for truth. To be willing to take on those that come against us. But we're also called to go and do ministry. We're also called to carry the shovel and to go and to work and to to minister and to reach people it's a it's a great picture of the dichotomy of the call of the church and so they're working and everything seems to be going good everything's slowed down and the work is back Uh, the opposition seems to be quiet and then all of a sudden at the start of chapter five Nehemiah begins to hear some rumblings of some discontent among the people And he's concerned because this discontent doesn't come from outside the walls, but inside the walls. And he goes down and begins to listen, and people begin to rise up. And they begin uh, to find out that the Jewish people, the people that had money among the Jewish groups, were doing the same things that the foreign leaders were doing to their own people. They were taking advantage. There had been a drought, and they were charging high prices. They were price gouging and taking advantage of their own people. They were uh, charging incredible amounts of interest so people could buy food and buy crops and buy food for their animals. And and the Bible says in the Old Testament that uh, the Jewish people, they could loan things with interest to Gentiles, but among their own people, there should be no usury. It was against the Jewish commandment to charge interest they were not to be a borrowing people and these rich men these guys of influence were taking advantage of the whole situation and nehemiah becomes incensed because it has the ability it's beginning to threaten the work at the wall it's causing class warfare they're they're beginning to rile and rise against one another and so nehemiah does what he does best in chapter five he prays and then calls for a meeting and in the middle of that meeting, he looks down at those that had had the influence, those that had been taking advantage, and he begins to rebuke them in front of all the people. He basically reads their mail. He says, you are doing wrong. Now, it's, it's incredible. Their response in chapter 5, verse 8, it says, they said Nothing. And I've thought about that since I preached that message on that service. Why in the world? These were the influential leaders. These were the money people. These were the people that, that had the power before Nehemiah got there. And here is this new guy, this new governor. Sure, he's got this paper authority from the king. But what else authority does he have? And he is speaking truth to them and they don't say a word. Matter of fact, it goes even further. Nehemiah begins to tell these people that if we're ever going to be the people of God, you not only have to stop what you're doing, but you've got to go back and pay back this money that you've stolen. You've got to go back and give to those that you took advantage of. And, and those people, those indentured servants that you're taking from your fellow man, you've got to set them free. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 5, they took an oath and said, We'll do it. No fuss, no complaints, no mess. So my question this morning, and and as we transition to the next part of this, is, is that seems too easy. What gave Nehemiah the authority to speak and the people not only to listen but to respond in a positive way? You see, Nehemiah had something more than authority. He had something that he had earned over time. Something that gave him such incredible credibility, incredible influence beyond the authority as governor. That when he faced this group of people, they were shamed. Shamed to the point that they fall in line and were obedient. Now, what was it? Well, real quickly, let's look at the end of chapter 5. am just going to read this and walk through it. I'm almost done, but I want you to hear this. Because I think it's an important message for us as a church. Chapter 5, verse 14. Here's the explanation for what it was. Nehemiah says moreover from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year for 12 years neither I nor my brothers ate the food that was allotted to the governor See first of all he was the governor that means he had a right to tax the people he could tax their food he could tax uh, their land he had a right as the leader to get something from the people that were serving under him all kinds of opportunity Nehemiah said, when I got here, I did not take advantage of that. More so, in verse 15, he says, But the early governors, those that came before me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and wine. And their assistance also lorded over the people. You see, some things, the more they change, the more they stay the same. You see, in, in Nehemiah's day, the people that had the power pushed it around to their friends and their cronies. Those that were close to him. And the governors that had come before Nehemiah, they didn't just get rich. They were letting all of their friends get rich at the expense of the Jewish people. Nehemiah said, I'm not going to do that. Why? Look at verse 15. He says, but out of reverence to God, I did not act like that. Not because somebody told him to or he was guilted or he was made to do it. He said, because I loved God, I had a holy fear of God, I wanted to do the right thing. That's incredible. It says in verse 16, instead, I devoted myself to work on the wall. Now, this is is so neat. Nehemiah says, I have a right to all of this stuff. But instead, I'm going to focus on the vision that God called me to do here. Build the wall not going to try to to get rich at everyone else's expense. I'm not going to try to take advantage of the situation. I'm not going to try to do it on the backs of the people. Instead, I am going to work and do what God called me to do, to build this wall. But not only me, he says, and all of my men, verse 16, assembled there to work, and we didn't acquire any land. You see, it was their right to be able to take land from people that were serving under them. Matter of fact, these guys were rich in a depressed economy. They could have come in and bought out all the land. And with land comes power. But he said, guess what? I told my men, no one is going to benefit from these people that are hurting. We've got a job to do. Furthermore, verse 17 says, "...150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations." And each day, one ox and six sheep and some poultry were prepared for me. And every day, every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. And in spite of this, I never demanded the food allotment for the governor because the demands were heavy on the people. Now, did you see what he's saying here? He's saying, I had 150 people eating at my table, plus some other visitors. And I supplied all this food from my own pocket. I could have charged the people to do it. He said, but no. He said, out of compassion, the people are hurting. I won't do that to the people. He closes this way by saying, remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Now, did you see what it was that Nehemiah had that gave him the authority? You see, Nehemiah gathered these wealthy and these powerful men. And when they were eyeball to eyeball with Nehemiah, they were looking at a person who not only obeyed the law, but went above and beyond the law. You see, when they were looking at this governor, it was a man that never took what he was entitled to because he didn't want to take advantage of his position. They were looking at a man that said, I've come to build a wall and I'm not going to allow myself or those around me to be distracted by power or wealth or entitlement or opportunity. We're here to get this wall built. So when he stepped up and demanded that they do the right thing, they were shamed because they were looking at a guy whose words matched his actions in the deepest level of his life. I want you to hear me. Nehemiah had something beyond the authority of the position. Nehemiah had what we might call moral authority. Good term for using today is integrity. Nehemiah had the credibility of walking his talk. And it counted. See, you and I need to understand that when you live a life consistent with what comes out of your mouth, there is a credibility involved that gives you a voice that you would not have had your life not matched up with your talk. See, Nehemiah lived what he professed. I've heard it said before that integrity is the most costly of all character traits. Because it takes a long time to get, and it can be lost in a second. Integrity's been defined as the difference between what you stand for when people are watching and what you do when they're not. And the difference between those two, that gap between what you say you believe and how you act, that's your integrity. Integrity is what people see when they look at you and say, I may not agree with what they believe, but there's no doubt in my mind that they believe it with all of their heart. Integrity is what happens when people look at you and say, We may not see the world the same, but there's no doubt in my mind that there is a consistency in them between the way they act and the way they view the world. I may not agree with them on things we we have our differences, but they are sincere and they speak the truth and they are committed to what they say. Integrity means there's no hidden motives, there's no hidden agenda, there's no duplicity, there's no separation. See, what I want you to hear me say this morning is integrity, character counts. I shared with you some alarming statistics last week, and if you weren't here, go and get that CD or listen to it, that that we are losing a generation in the church, that over 20% of the people in this country now claim no religious affiliation, but yet they are spiritual people. Over 80% of them claim to be spiritual. They're not rejecting Christ. They're rejecting the church. And when you look at that statistic and you look at that survey, the thing they said that was turning them away from church, the thing that was causing them not to get involved in the church, to not to hear the message of the church, was the word hypocrisy. Now, you know, hypocrisy is the opposite bookend to integrity hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another integrity is saying what you believe and letting your life walk out those beliefs you see what you need to understand what we do as Christians in the church is louder to this generation than anything you and I could say we claim to profess grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and freedom but my question is does the world see us live it See, Billy Graham once said that the true test of a Christian's character is not what they say and do at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. It's what they say and do on Sunday afternoon and Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday morning. See, Nehemiah had moral authority because his words were backed up by his actions, his choices, his lifestyle. He lived it. And that gave him the credibility to be heard. You see, what I'm afraid is the world is not listening to us because they don't see it in our lives. They don't see it in the way we treat each other in the church. They don't see it in the way we treat our family members. They don't see it in the way we treat and respond to those that are hurting outside of these walls. You see, all of us in this life have positions. You have a position as a father or as a mother or as a parent or as an upperclassman or a business leader or a teacher or as a boss or as a friend or as a coworker, And that position gives you the authority to be heard. But it is your moral authority, your integrity, that causes others to listen to you. So you can speak all you want. But if the integrity is not there... No one is listening. I'm not talking about perfection. No one can live up to that standard. All of us fail that. What I'm talking about is consistency. So what it means is that when people look at our lives, there is an extraordinary consistency between what we say and what we claim to believe and how we live. It means that Christ permeates everything we do. All of our relationships, our decisions... Our interactions. You see, we need to understand that our actions matter. Integrity matters. Character matters. People say, what do we need to pass on to our children and our grandchildren? Character. What do our fellow co-workers need? Our neighbors need? They need to see us live out the truth that we have. You see, I told you last week, we've got the right message We've got the good news, the gospel, the truth that sets people free. But what I'm afraid is that we are losing the right to be heard because our lives are disqualifying the message. See, Nehemiah had moral authority because they just didn't hear it from him. They saw it in him. What about you? Integrity. Character. Character. Moral authority. It's been credited to St. Francis of Assisi that said these words Preach the gospel always. If it becomes necessary, use words. You and I are the good news. What do people see in you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth in Nehemiah, I thank you for the powerful words. That Father, that that permeates our hearts. God, forgive us. The, The beautiful aspect of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that this morning, if our character has been diminished, if our integrity has failed, if we've been inconsistent or hypocritical in our home life and in our work life, that we can start again today. That we can rebuild. That we can prove to others that... We're not who we were, but we're who Jesus saved us to be. Father, break our hearts that there's a lost world out there looking for truth, looking for hope, looking for grace and mercy, and they're not hearing it from us because they don't see it in us. Let our light so shine on a hill that all men would be drawn unto it. Father, I pray you'd speak to us. Break our hearts, convict us, let us start new in Your name, Amen. I pray that the Holy Spirit worked and spoke to you, and I believe there's some more powerful truth there for you to grasp. This morning, our time of invitation—it's really not a time of invitation. I—I I would love to pray with you if you want, or if you need to pray and uh, hear from the Holy Spirit this morning. I want you to do that, but I. I